Let's turn our attention now uh, to the book of Genesis, chapter 25, beginning with verse 19. This is the account of the family line of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean from Padan of Aram, and sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife Rebekah became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples who within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, he loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished, and he said to Jacob, Quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. This is why he's also called Edom. Jacob replied, First, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is a birthright to me? But Jacob said, Swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. And together we say, thanks be to God. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. May it always be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. May the words of my mouth and meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our strength and our redeemer. And all God's people said, Amen. In the late 1960s, early 1970s, Walter Mischel and his colleagues at Stanford University came up with a, an ex interesting experiment called the marshmallow test. Perhaps you've heard of it. Here's how the experiment worked. A child was placed in a room and presented with a treat of their choice, often a marshmallow, hence the name the marshmallow test. The researcher then told the child they could either eat the marshmallow right away or if they could wait until the researcher returned, typically about 15 minutes later, they would be, and if they hadn't eaten the marshmallow yet, they would be rewarded with a second one. So the children were left alone with the marshmallow and the researchers observed what they did, first with the double pane windows and then with the cameras later on. And they would see, did, did they eat the marshmallow right away? Did they wait a little while and give in? Did they just taste it a little bit? Or did they manage to go the entire 15 minutes and earn the second marshmallow? The interesting part of this experiment came years later. Mitchell and his team followed up with the children when they were older and found that the children who were able to delay gratification and wait for that second marshmallow tended to have better life outcomes. Although it's an interesting experiment, it's worth pointing out that the marshmallow test has been repeated many times, and in most recent reproductions, the correlation between waiting times 
and life outcomes might not be as strong as initially thought. And factors such as child social and economic background play much more of a role in their ability to later delay gratification and an indication of their long-term success. But the marshmallow test serves as an interesting study in self-control, in delayed gratification, but it's not a definitive predictor of an individual's future success. But as a father, I decided pretty early on in my daughter August's life that we would not have to give her the marshmallow test. If you know August, I, I have no moral obligation to this test, but I think I already know how it would go because I know my daughter pretty well. August, who is five, is not one to delay gratification of anything. In fact, she has a new way to try to convince us that she needs something immediately. If she wants something to drink, she'll whine and she'll say, but daddy, I can't hold my thirsties. And if she wants something to eat, she'll say, but daddy, I can't hold my hungries, which is obviously a variation on when we teach her, if you need to go potty, let us know when you can't hold it anymore. And so on a road trip, she'll say, I can't hold it. I got to go. And so now she says, I, I just, I can't hold my hungries anymore. I have to have some gummies. I was trying to convince her and teach her, we are not a now family. We're not, you get what you want when you want it kind of family. But the only reason we're able to make any headway at this redirection as parents is because I'm married to Brianna. <laughs> because you know who else would have failed that marshmallow test? This guy. I tell you right now, you had to put that marshmallow in front of me as a kid, it would have been gone before the researcher left the room. Brianna says money burns holes in my pocket and she is a right. You give me $5 and tell me if I wait, I'll get 10. I'm going to spend that $5. My daughter and I have a lot more in common than our blonde hair and blue eyes. We both have a natural inability to wait for what we want. When faced with a, a chance to get something of our desires, we jump at it. We're both a lot like Esau from this story we read just a moment ago in Genesis. You know, this is one of my favorite stories in Genesis. In fact, it's one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. It's just funny, and it's relatable. I mean, two brothers who are nothing alike, one pulling a fast one on the other. These are the sons of Isaac, who is the son of Abraham. And chapter 25, it gives us their birth story, but it also gives us this interesting encounter of them later in their teenage years. They're technically twins, but they could not be more different. The boys struggled even within the womb. And the Lord told Rebecca, two nations are inside of you and they'll be two peoples and they will be divided. And we're not going to get to that part today with the nation versus nation, but just know that all that did come to pass. The boys both ended up being leaders of different nations, but as children, Esau was born for first. And so he was technically the eldest. The Bible says that Esau was a hairy dude covered in red hair all over his body, like a hairy mantle. Jacob was the younger of the brothers, and we're told that he was holding Esau's heel as they were being born, which is like they're having a wrestling match. He's like, no, you get back here. I want to be first, which is a bit of a foreshadowing of their relationship as they were to grow up. So as they grew, Esau became a skilled hunter, and Jacob was more suited for tasks around the house. Esau was the stereotypical man's man. And the Bible says that because Isaac had a taste for wild game and Esau was a skilled hunter, Jacob, uh, Isaac loved Esau. 
And because Jacob did more around the house with his mother, Rebecca loved Jacob. One day, Jacob was making some stew. And when Esau came in from the hunt, he was super hungry. And he said, give me some of that red stuff you're making. Jacob, never wanted to miss an opportunity, decided he was going to get something out of this. And so he said to Esau, sure, I'll give you some of this, but first sell me your birthright. Which is a really important thing. We'll get back to that in just a second. Esau, he's so famished, he turns into my five-year-old daughter. And he says, I can't hold my hungries. Esau, exasperated and single-minded, he says, I'm about to die. What good is a birthright to me? Which is like the most melodramatic thing you can imagine in that moment, right? It's kind of like when people use the word literally, but they don't actually mean literally. I just ate so much, I'm literally about to explode. I'm so tired, I will literally sleep for days. I'm so hungry, I'm literally going to die. You're not going to explode if you eat too much. You won't sleep for days if you're tired. And Esau is not going to die from hunger. He had enough energy to go hunting to walk back inside and ask for food. So that's not really how hunger works. It doesn't matter to Esau. He is so set on getting his desires, he fails to realize the magnitude of what he is doing. So Jacob says, swear it to me first. So he swore it to him, and he sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and he drank. He rose and he went away, and Esau despised his birthright. Let me ask you a question. What is the most important thing you own? What do you possess that is more valuable to you than any of your other possessions? I don't mean who do you love the most or which of your memories is the most important to you, but what is something that you have that you can give away that means more to you than anything else? And is there a price you can put on that thing? If so, I would imagine it'd be pretty steep. If it isn't something you consider priceless, I assume that to part with it, you'd expect compensation commensurate with the value of the possession. For a firstborn male in Israel, it wasn't a tangible possession that was most important, but it was something he possessed. The most valuable thing for a firstborn male Israelite was the birthright of his family. With the birthright, he was entitled to three specific things. The first is that he became second in the hierarchical structure of his family, second only to his father. So if there are any arguments amongst the siblings, they didn't go to daddy to resolve it. They went to the older brother. The older brother was in charge of all familial affairs and helped running the family businesses. The second is that his portion of the inheritance was significantly greater than that of his siblings. Other siblings were not cut out from the father's estate, but their share was greatly reduced compared to the eldest male. And the last thing, and perhaps the most important, is that the eldest male received the familial blessing from God. God's blessing on their family. They were the ones that carried on their family's lineage and tied their family and that of their ancestors to the people that were chosen by God. If Esau had not have sold his birthright, when we talk about the patriarchs of the Jewish faith, we would not say the, fan, the God of Abraham, 
Isaac, and Jacob. We would say the gods of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. Think about how many times in the Bible Yahweh is identified by that name, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because Esau has this incredible possession, this birthright. And it carries so much with it, power, wealth, and blessing. And what does he sell it for? What does he get for his incredible, valuable birthright? A bowl of stew. The most precious thing he owns, and he gave it away for next to nothing. He could not see beyond his momentary desire for what he wanted, and so he gave away the most important thing he had for nothing. I wonder if Jacob actually expected him to say yes. Or did he think that this was going to be some sort of negotiation? You know, I think with my sibling, my sister, during our teenage years, if there was something this year I wanted, we kind of haggle over the price, right? When we're teenagers, she might be like, hey, Woods, will you do the dishes for me? I've got some extra homework to do. And if I, if I were smart, which I, I tried to be, yeah, it wasn't, I would try to get the most out of this I could. And when you're trying to do that, you start at the top, right? You say, let me, get, let me ask for the most valuable thing. So I say, like, sure, I'll do this. You just give me your car. And Jillian, she's like, I'm not giving you my car. You're crazy. She's like, I'll do the dishes for three days. And I was like, no, a week. And we'd settle on it. You know, we'd negotiate a price. I'd go for the most valuable thing, and we'd end up somewhere in the middle. I wonder if that's what Jacob was doing, right? Was he expecting a negotiation? Esau says, I'm so hungry, give me some stew. And Jacob sees an opportunity, and so he says, let me get something from my brother. Maybe he thinks he's just going to get a few days' chores out of him, but he starts at the very top. He says, give me the most important thing in your life. Give me your birthright. And Esau is like, sure, you can, you can have it because I will need it if I'm dead. And so Jacob makes sure that the deal is binding, and he says, swear it to me. Swear to me that I get your birthright. How ridiculous is Esau? How dumb is Esau? Who would be so short-sighted? Who would ever give up the most valuable thing that they could have for something so temporary? You would. And I would. I know this because we do it all the time. Because that's what sin is. Sin is when we give up our inheritance and the eternal reward for something temporary, something fleeting. It's when God offers us a relationship with him and we choose to turn away. We are often willing to give up the best thing imaginable for something fleeting. But the good news is that God sent Jesus to forgive us when we do. To teach us what we ought to choose instead and to help us make the right choices. The Apostle Paul said this to the church in Rome. Through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free. Free from the law of sin and death. 
For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, these momentary, these temporary desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirits have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Friends, the good news is that when we decide to sacrifice our birthright, God tells us that the blessing is still available. When we give away the thing that God wants to give us, life eternal, blessings beyond measure, God continues to offer it even in spite of our mistakes. When we choose the temporal over the eternal, it saddens God, but it does not separate God. God sent his son, and he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit that lives in you. No matter what we have done or chosen when we ought not to, God still offers us forgiveness. But that doesn't mean we are devoid of consequences for our actions. It doesn't mean that our choosing of the temporary does not have an impact on our lives and on the lives of others. I mean, there are small, simple things that are impacted when we choose the stew, whenever we grab the temporal. You might get one marshmallow instead of getting two. Perhaps you miss out on a great job by settling for the first one that comes along. Maybe you got caught cheating on a test, and so you get a failing grade. You took the quick and easy path that you knew was not right, and there were consequences. But there are also very costly, life-altering things that happen when we are not able to trade the temporary. Whenever we grasp at our momentary sinful fleshly desires, how many people have ended up in drug rehab or died because of temporary but powerful desires? How many marriages have been ruined by people who chose temporary satisfaction over the desires God wants for our relationships? How many people have lost careers for going for short-term temporary financial gains rather than doing what is right? History is littered with stories of lives being ruined because we can be too slow to think about what is most important and too quick to pick the thing that we want in that moment. But God is calling us to trade temporary. God wants, to ex- wants all of us to experience life's blessings to the fullest, both the spiritual from being in relationship with him, but also the physical and living healthy, responsible lives. God wants what is best for us. Choosing our birthright instead of some stew, it might mean spending more time with our family than we spend at the office. 
It might mean taking care of our health instead of eating the fifth fast food burger of the week. It might mean showing your friends what responsible behavior looks like at your next outing rather than always being the one that somebody else has to help get home. Choosing our birthright, it isn't always easy. In fact, oftentimes it's not. But no one ever said being a Christian doesn't have hard moments. That there won't be difficult choices we have to make. That's what it means to turn your life around. It means you're choosing something that is different from what you're used to. Choosing something that is different than an easy. That's what it means to not live as the world lives. That's what it means to be like Christ. That's what it means to be holy. We are all seeking to be sanctified. We say in this church all the time that we are on the pathway of sanctification, which means we're trying to be more like Christ. And the path to sanctification is paved with a lot of moments where you're given a choice for eternal or temporal. For something that lasts for forever or something that lasts for a moment. The good news is that when we fail, when we choose to do, God forgives us. God loves us. Nothing you have done and nothing you will do can separate us from the love of God. You do not have to leave here defeated, thinking all I've done is chosen stew. I I have no hope. No, there is hope in Jesus Christ. You are forgiven. And now, when given the choice again, what God desires for each of us And what God is trying to help us do is to trade temporary for what is everlasting. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.